Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Here at the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their passion. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and we are going to join the second part of our mentor session with Bob Mills as he talks to our group, answers some of the questions that they have, and goes a little bit deeper into some of the different or some of the different things that he learned as he was starting in business and kind of working his way through. So let's turn it over to our first question. You know, for, for four or five years, we were maybe looking for successful, you know, but it was all, it was hard. If they, if they knew, I used to say the covers are just heavy. You know, you, you got you to peel them back. So, so a guy like me that's finally experiencing some sort of success, you know, how, how do we stop from being just a flash in the pan that have 45 years of, a, of service to the community? Simply put, you, you just try like the devil not to go broke. Uh, I, that sounds <clears throat> that that sounds pretty simple. But look, if you're in business long enough, you're going to see some ups, and you're going to see some downs, because if it were that easy, everybody'd be doing it. Uh, Perseverance—that's a word you don't hear a lot of amongst <clears throat> some of the people today. People turn and run at the first sign of trouble. I want to be a certified financial planner. <clears throat> Business is a little tough. I decide, you know what, golly, I don't, I don't really know if I want to do this at all or not. I'm going to go do something else. And pretty soon you look up five years later, you've had seven jobs. Totally different careers. Sooner or later, you've got to find yourself. You've got to find what you love to do. I don't know what it is. But if you love it and you really find it and you'll stay with it, it'll work. Because that's what gives you that extra oomph to get across the goal line is that little extra push that only can come if you're really passionate about what you're doing. And I tell our people all the time, we are not selling furniture. You're kidding yourself if you think we sell furniture. We sell a promise. If you'll buy our furniture, your family will be happier, you'll be happier, you'll have more friends, you'll enjoy your home life more. It's a promise that we make. <coughs> if the, the furniture is just a conduit <coughs> to get the financial transaction, but it's the promise that makes it special. I'm so, never going back to Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm certainly not I was going to say, I for one am very excited that you're out. I've never been to one of your stores yet, but you just got here. But I'm excited to see Mathis Brothers get some competition in our market. It's been strongly needed for many years, in my opinion. Um, I think they're a good company. I think they're even well run. Um, they obviously have enough success to prove that. Um, 
But I think monopolies are not a good thing. And <clears> they act as though they're a monopoly. The chasing you around the store, for example, is a great thing. I'm happy to hear that there's finally someone that doesn't chase you through the store trying to make that commission sell. Well, you and I are customers. Mm-hmm. I don't like to go into a store that I can't even breathe. Absolutely. When we're born, we learn three words. Mommy, Daddy, and I'm just looking. <laughs> and we all say it. I mean, we all say it. We yeah. walk in. We know exactly what we're looking for. But we all say, I'm just looking. And how nice for somebody to say to you, you know what? I'm a looker too. I'm going to excuse myself for a few minutes and give you some time to kind of see some things, and I'll join you later. I love that approach. Uh, what do you see is going to be your strongest uh, business, business challenge over the next five years? <clears throat> I think uh, I think the internet is still a great mystery to certain areas of retail. For example, if you want to buy Crest toothpaste on the internet, <coughs> you know what Crest toothpaste is. You just go to the guy that's selling it the cheapest, and he gives you free, free shipping, and you buy it. But a sofa is a little different. Ask yourself, are you going to give me your credit card for four or $5,000 on a sofa that you've never sat on, you've never seen? You don't know exactly how the fabric feels. It's a different animal. Now, I think the internet presents a great opportunity for us to tell the public who we are and what we have and do to try to encourage you to come in the doors. And I think that's a big challenge that a lot of retailers are still struggling with. And the other thing is, be different. Look, if I can't offer you something different, you need to go to Mathis Brothers. If I can't, if I can't offer you something that exceeds what you expect and provide a service to you or a product that's different than theirs in a way that you feel good, you need to go to Mathis Brothers. A lot of retailers are caught up in their own trap that they just can't change. They, they just can't do something different. They know they need to, but gosh, I don't know. I don't want to take the chance. You mentioned earlier how much risk changing the risk that it, that it poses. Sure, there's risk. But like we said, 70% of your decisions are probably going to be wrong. But you make those changes as you go down the road. You make, you make corrections. And that's what helps you to be successful. When you... Um, mentioned about the salesmen and them not hounding the customers. Obviously, in my mind, that gives you uh, your competitive edge because you're providing a better customer experience. Um, and obviously, it's making the customer feel a certain way. And people, when they're buying, they're going to always remember how you made them feel. But at the beginning, you know, obviously, the hope was probably, I hope this will increase our sales. Because of, I don't, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the thought process was, well, you know, we're taking a risk because now we don't have somebody who's constantly trying to be hungry to push product. Um, but have you seen the results, the desired results, uh, from that change? Yes. Don't let me mislead you. We are a selling organization. 
We are in business to sell merchandise, and a lot of it as much as we can. But the way you do that is it's got to be a benefit to the customer. And things that one time were accepted, getting your head beat off or going to a car lot and the guy throwing your keys on the roof and stuff like that, that might have been accepted at one time. That's not today. Things have changed. And people today, as this age group comes up and the millennials come up and things like that, you have got to create a better customer experience. And that word is so overworked. It's so overworked. Than your competitor. If you don't, you're just like him. And people think badly of you. We're not perfect. We make a lot of mistakes. We still have people that, that will say, uh, we use a phrase, no shopper stalkers. We still have people say, he was stalking me in the store. Well, it becomes subjective at one time. But yes, we have seen the desired results. We see it through, we have a thing called a net promoter score in which we carefully monitor anytime you make a purchase. We send out a questionnaire over the internet to you asking you to tell us, how do we do? <clears throat> how did we do? Are you likely to recommend us to someone else? Or are you unlikely to recommend us? You gotta hear the truth. You gotta hear those things that painfully make you just wanna shrink and fall out of your chair. But that's the only way you fix it, is to listen to that. How do you know, um, how do you track if a salesperson's doing well, you know, if they're not, um, I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, if, if, if they talk to somebody about a piece of furniture and that furniture's purchased, their name is, you know, written down on the receipt or, mm. I mean, you know who's selling best, right? I mean, we keep careful track on a daily basis of all of our store traffic so that we can monitor it on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And we also monitor the penetration that you're doing well, I'm not doing well. You've talked to 25 people, and this is your results. I talked to 25, and this is my results. <coughs> you can't fix it if you can't measure it. And we carefully try to measure and reduce it down to where we get a matrix where we can look and say, I'm doing badly, I need help. He's doing great. We want to we want to encourage him to do even better. It's amazing. Many furniture stores across the United States have no clue how many people are coming through their doors. And you say, how's business? That's eh, okay. How's traffic? Eh, could be better. What does that mean? It's like saying, how much money you got in the bank? Eh, I don't know. You better know. <laughs> and so we really try to track our traffic very, very carefully to provide the salespeople some help. And who's doing what? And that's the way you learn and the way you grow. And early on, we've made a lot of mistakes in the way we've looked at information and we've changed it, trying to get more precise about it. But here again, make it to where we can serve the customer better. It all focuses down on how can we better serve you and give you a better experience. That's what it's all about. I've gleaned from your comments that you're an excellent marketer. Um, 
and the science behind marketing, you, you not just gimmicks, but you, to me, you have a very good grasp of what it takes to drive a sale, to create that sale. Um, the millennial generation <coughs> is different than most of the previous generations. They uh, often had that um, failure to launch syndrome, and that was the running joke, even in presidential campaigns, you're sitting there looking at your, in your old high school bedroom, looking at your old poster uh, as a boomerang child. Um, that's starting to change a little bit in the fact that the birth rate finally went up for the first time in many years. So maybe they're starting to put down roots. What are you doing differently to market to the generation that doesn't feel that they need a car, that they can have Uber, that they don't necessarily have to have the house? What are you doing differently to market to them to create that sell? It's a tough one. Because first of all, you've, before you can cure the disease, you've got to understand the disease. Uh, I would say this, the most notable thing about the buying patterns of the millennials and some of the Generation Xers, disposable furniture, and that's a term that's used in our industry. Your mom and dad said, look, I want to buy something that is going to be last me for a lifetime. I want this dining room table to last us 40 years. Today, people don't buy furniture like that. I want to buy it for a couple of years, three years. You know what? We're going to get tired of that. If we're going to move to a new house. We're going to get something. Get rid of that. I want something new. And I may get a new husband along the way. <laughs> you know? It's a different mentality and a different mindset than what we encountered. Uh, we also find, and I read this just last week in California, that the millennials, they don't have real estate for two reasons. Number one, they've got huge student debt and they don't have a job. And they're still living at home with mom and dad. Someday, they may enjoy the American dream, but they're not worried about it. They're not worried today. And the fact that when I was at an age that mom said, son, you're on your own. Mom and dad today have said, it's okay. You can come back home and you can, four more years. Yeah, four more years, something like that. It's, it's not a bad, it's not a bad uh, generation. It's a generation that uh, is going to be the largest purchasing power we've ever seen above the baby boomers, and we've got to figure it out. So, and we, we work with that every single day. Now, I don't think we can take our business today and say, scrap everything we've done. We're going to go straight to the baby, I mean, to the uh, millennials, and that's the only person we're going to address. I think we'd be broke in 30 days if we did something like that. It's something that, it's that change, that word again, change, that you've got to get involved in. And look at it and watch it and be very sensitive to it. I have a question about your first business partner. You said that at one point he came in and handed you a key and a piece of paper and said he was done. How long after that did, did it, was it, were you able to trust another person to be a part of your business? And you feel like that baggage from that past thing into the future relationship where you were more skeptical and not necessarily allowing another person to have the same amount of trust that you did before? That's a great question. That's a great question. Uh, <clears throat> let me answer you this way. I learned some very valuable life lessons and some business lessons. First one was Never partner with somebody that has absolutely no monetary investment at all. They may have all the ideas, they may have all of this and that. 
It's not the amount of money, it's the fact that there is some money. They have something at risk. You behave differently when you have something at risk than when you have nothing at risk. Had he had $10,000, $5,000, the odds are he probably wouldn't have been so quick to come in and slide the keys across the desk. But he had nothing to lose. <clears throat> and so he just on to the next adventure. Where's Ken at today? Ken's still alive. He's, uh, he had a stroke a couple of years ago. I saw Ken six or seven months ago, and uh, he's still living there in Oklahoma City. Ken is a tremendous, tremendous musician, a steel guitar player, played with a lot of the country stars on some of their session work, and I mean really good. But he's a fine guy, and I, I think a lot of him. How long did he stay with you? <coughs> Eighteen years. Sure was. Great guy. That's one of the other things I'm very proud of. We have a lot of tenure in our company. Uh, my assistant has been with me. Uh, she's been there 33 years. Uh, we've got a lot of people with 20 years. Tons of people with 15 years. And it makes you feel good that people have come together. One of our core values is everybody's family. And you try, to, you try to have that kind of atmosphere and provide. Just like families, we, we get upset at each other and we <coughs> argue and things like that. But the basic respect never leaves. And that's the good part about that. You mentioned how a, a lot of business owners will um, have some success and then start <coughs> being busy with just meetings and, and they're not focused on sales anymore. So I, I'm, I'm assuming you, you may have had to battle that a little bit in your career. How did you continuously motivate yourself to continue to you know, drive sales and, and, and have new ideas and all that? Change your mindset. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, uh, I used to think that the way to success was to outwork everybody. Be the first guy there, the last guy to leave. You're going to show everybody. <clears throat> how hard you can work and how you can do that. It's the same thing as the difference between a one-man band and a symphony orchestra, which sounds the best. The guy banging his head on the bass drum and the cymbals between his legs and <coughs> stuff like that, or a symphony. You've got to have good people. And you've got to be willing to turn loose of that so that you can do what your role is. Getting the good people, getting them in the right positions, just like the book Good to Great talks about and not being afraid to throw them off the bus if they just don't fit and they shouldn't be on the bus. And it's hard because you have humanism that comes in and you get personalities involved and things like that. But uh, it's, you've got to keep your eye on the ball that it's all about sales. It's about the money. And you got to be mindful of that. And when it's your money, you are more mindful of that. I noticed that, oh, that you're the face of your brand. Obviously, because it's your name. But what are some of the advantages of from behind the logo and, and really being the face of it, as opposed to some of the disadvantages of that? 
Well, some of the advantages are, I think you can, um, let's start with the disadvantages. I think some of the disadvantages is are, uh, some people just aren't good at it. I mean, I mean, they're just not good at it. And it's, and it's hard for an advertising agency or a marketing company to come and say, you're ugly, you don't do a good job, and we've got to get you off. And then believe them. And that, that's the hard part, and then believe them. Uh, plus, you've turned, if, they, if you turn the face of your company over to an outsider, you run the risk, and I've seen this, of somebody holding you hostage <clears throat> in this way. They come to you and they say, business is good. You're right, it's great. You know, I need triple what you're paying me or I'm not going to do this for you anymore. It's not fair. That's what I want. So that's a disadvantage right there. Uh, I think the advantage of it is you uh, tend to be more mindful of the brand. You're very cautious about the things you do and the things that you try. You want to protect more than the brands. You want to protect, you, you realize those of you that have lots of employees, we have like 400 employees. You control their families. You're responsible for their families. These little kids that walk in the door, you got to be careful. You don't want to do things and make too many mistakes or that little kid is going to pay the price. And he didn't do anything wrong. So that's something that you have to keep in mind right there and respect the brand yourself because it's, it gets bigger than just you. It's got a lot of people involved. So there's good points and bad points to it right there. You feel like it's any benefit to your business just in terms of like the trust factor and, and expertise and that side <coughs> to be the face? We did six focus groups in the month of December. I don't know how many of you have ever done a focus group. It's brutal. If you have, if you have, you wear your feelings on your shoulder, you, you, you want a stiff drink before you go into this. <laughs> but we were, I, I, I don't mind telling you, my, my big concern was, am I too old? The disconnect between the customer. And the focus groups that we studied said, said no. Still looking good, Bob. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's not. You're one of those people that would be too old yet. No, I, I, think, I think you have a good brand, I would think. You know, I've seen your I, I when I came in here today, I wasn't expecting them to look so young because I've been well, watching this stuff since uh, 93. Right. <laughs> well, but uh, that, that's something that you always worry about, those, those kind of things right there. But those focus groups, they tell you a lot. Uh, is, it, is it the Bible? No. It's a suggestion, a strong suggestion that you want to factor in to help you make a good decision. And that's what all this information is, whether it's traffic studies, whether it's marketing studies or whatever. It all goes in the pot to try to help you make a good decision. Wow. What is the most innovative thing you've seen in your industry? The most innovative thing that I've seen. 
I would I would I would think that we caught a lot of uh, comments and criticism when we hired a chiropractic physician to work in a furniture store. That was pretty out there. And a lot of dealers looked at me like, boy, I don't know what you're thinking, but, but it's either your girlfriend or there's something going on here. But it was innovative and it proved to be one of the best things. Do you have chiropractors in all your stores? No. But our chiropractic physician trains all of our people for the sleep spa, for the, for the bedding. <coughs> training, training is key the way we do it. So there's other, other dealers that have done some wonderful things, very, very innovative things. Uh, the Super Bowl, you, if, if the scores are such, then all the furniture that you bought is free for the whole weekend, things like that. So uh, a lot of innovation. Furniture dealers, uh, some of them are very, very good promoters, great marketers. You know, you talked about uh, you know, not wanting one to wake up. You know, what, what was your greatest challenge, and where did you get the courage at to go face the problem? <clears throat> well, when you don't have any options, when you don't, you don't have any money, and you don't have any credit or anybody to talk to, you got to go face the problem. And uh, to me, that's always been the best way, is just go face it head on. <coughs> Normally, it's not going to get any better, <clears throat> not on its own. So you've got to go try to fix it. And uh, that's, that's, that's not a, a lot of fun, a steady diet of, of things like that. But you know what? Look, life's full of issues. It's full of problems. It's how we look at it and what we make of it and how we react to it. And uh, I take things very personal. Uh, I do. To me, <clears throat> a business is like a small child. If you take care of it and you feed it, it grows up to be a good citizen. If you abuse it, you neglect it, it grows up to be a hoodlum. And the same thing for a business. A lot of guys just don't pay attention. They don't put in the time they should. They don't take care of their employees. And they say, I wonder why we don't make any money and why we're always about to go out of business. The, the things that you talked about also, it makes you so appreciative <laughs> of when you do get into a position that you've got the great people to counsel with. You've got some resources that you can help yourself with. And you're a lot more appreciative than if you'd have just had it handed to you. And I'm not talking about anybody that's inherited a business or anything like that. That's great. That's great. It's just a whole different mindset. So that's... You had said that make sure that when you do whatever it is that you're doing that you love it so that your passion and your drive goes beyond those people that are just doing something for <coughs> the point of money. But at the very beginning, whenever you first started, was that actually your motivation or was it when you're having all those issues? Somewhere in the back of your mind, you're wondering, do I really love this? And how did you, how did you know at the very beginning that, yeah, this is what I want to do? I didn't. I was in love with a dream. I was in love with a dream of success. And in college, I thought, boy, 
life is going to be so good for me and so easy. I had this master plan in the form of a dream, and none of it came true. I mean, none of it came true. And when that CPA said, you're broke, that was reality. And that's when it started to set in. But in the beginning, it's the dream. That's what, look, we're all entrepreneurs. That's what gets you up in the morning. That's what makes you take the risk and take the chances that you do. Because people that are not turned that way with entrepreneurial blood, they think you're crazy. Why would you do that? You don't have to do that. <laughs> when I walk out, I forget about the place. That's, that's right. I go home. I'm, I'm free. I got a bass boat. I got green grass on my front porch and all this kind of stuff, you know. And But when you own the joint, it's a little different. You, you think about those things. And there's got to be a balance. There's got to be a balance. And I've not been good at that that you can park it. But sometimes it's easier to do than other times. Things are going on and you, they just need attention. And uh, I strongly suspect you don't go to the country club every afternoon and play. Uh, <laughs> Eat your steak and play. No. No. No, and look, I don't feel deprived. I don't feel deprived at all. It's. It's one thing to know that you can if you want to, and knowing there's no way. And in my mind, they're both no way because it, it takes so much time. But I want to do what I like to do. To me, some guys play golf. You guys may play golf, and you may love it. Congratulations. That's great. To me, selling furniture is like playing golf. I enjoy it. It's relaxing. It's relaxation. I enjoy meeting the people. Uh, Shaking hands with the customers, and they will tell you what's on their minds, and you better listen. How important has um, motive been in the pursuit of your success? I'm sorry? How important has motive, your motive, been in the uh, pursuit of your success? I don't know. I don't know. If you take motive, it's whether it's the fact that you have made up your mind, you will not accept second best. You do not like to lose. And that you continue to adhere to that thought. And sometimes that can be a big demon for you because you're expecting things out of people that aren't there. They can't do it. And it makes the situation very difficult. But as far as what is the motive been, the motive that I've always had that I've dreamed of is you, you want to do the right thing. But it's easier to do right the right thing when you've got money and success in your pocket than it is when you don't. That's not the way it should be. But we're all human beings. And that's the way that many times it works out. But you also like to be an example <clears throat> to others that you don't have to do all these terrible things to get ahead. If you do what's right, the money will come. The success will come. It's hard to see. It may be a while, but 
I believe it, it will come, and it pays off in spades. So I don't think that's a, a good, I, I don't have a good answer for you. I, I really, that's a good question. That was, that was a good question, though. Do you guys focus primarily on throwaway furniture or heirloom furniture? <clears throat> that's another good question. I, you cannot take good care of bad stuff. You can't do it. I don't, I would rather make less money on better stuff than make more money on stuff that you know in your heart. <coughs> this is not what these people thought they were buying. Those things come back and kill you. They, you, you may get a couple of years, three years, five years ride off of it, but those things will come back and kill you. We're not selling heirloom furniture, but we're selling furniture that will last you beyond your reasonable expectation. <laughs> Somebody write that. <laughs> and that, that's it. And our, our director of merchandise, he and I both strongly agree on that. You don't want to get involved in that stuff. People look to us for advice. You look to the doctor for advice. And if you have any integrity, you tell them this is what it is and help them to make a good decision right there. So I think that's a good answer. To, to, I have a question about mentorship. I believe Matt told you a little bit about our group and what we, what we try to do. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> what role did mentorship play in your life? I had several mentors through my life, and I think as you get older and things change, you have different mentors, and you need, and that's healthy. Uh, there were there were there were times that I admired greatly and wanted to be like the guys that were the tough guys. Jack Welch, look at the performance that he got. He had a different management style. Lee Iacocca from Chrysler. Different management style that he had. Uh, very successful. But I think what all a mentor <laughs> is trying to do is help you to personally develop. Take what you've got, influence it, the good stuff, leave the bad stuff alone, and develop. We've all had the time that we've seen the guy that we just worshipped do something that just destroyed our faith in him. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe that somebody would do something like that. So accept it for what it is. A mentor is a wonderful person. It brings those things to your life that you can change and adapt to and emulate and try to be like, but be yourself. That's the best thing. Be yourself. Question. Um, when it comes to negotiations and getting the furniture and getting the material, do you have a team of people that you train, or do you have certain individuals within the company that go and make the negotiations happen? I'm involved in the buying, uh, and I enjoy that. But we have, we have a couple of people, we have a few people 
at the store that are very, very good at adhering to the theory, there's always a deal. There is always a deal. You just may have to work a little harder with some people, but there is always a deal. And uh, the money in our business is made in the buying, not the selling. And we're not afraid to ask for a better price, a better situation, uh, things like that. Because again, when it's your own money, you have a little more respect for it than if you're working for a big publicly held company <coughs> that money's falling out of the skies. And, and I think negotiation's healthy. But the one thing you must do, you must pay your bills on time. If I'm going to negotiate and I'm going to get you to do this, you've got to pay on time. Now, on that, um, how do you go about training or coaching up your, your team to kind of think like you and kind of go about saying the right things or having that? Because, you know, I've, I've done research on time, and he's really good at saying what he wants. He's asserted me as a confidence. <clears throat> how, can you, how do you get your team to have that same confidence in what you're asking them to do without them second-guessing themselves? I'm like, well, I, I'm not usually an assertive person, or I'm not usually a person that's going to ask a question because X, Y, Z reasons. How do, you, how do you go about trying to train up your people to get away from that shy mentality and just be like, this is what I want? And believe me, it'll work. You just got to stick it out. Some people can, some people can't. It's not in their makeup. Get the right people in the right seats, and we've got, we've got some people again that are just, just very good. And don't ask for the impossible. When you get to where you have a reputation that you're constantly coming in and you're asking for something that's just silly, pretty soon they disregard you. They don't take you serious. Uh, there's many times that we don't ask for a deal. We think it's a, it's a great price. Then there's times when you need some help, you want to do this or do that, you go in there and you really get assertive. But if they know you're a great customer, you do a lot of business, you pay on time, <laughs> every time, you take all your discounts, hey, let's work with a the guy. They're honor bound. I mean, business is about doing business. And those people want to do business. There's not that many guys. I don't know of anybody today going in the furniture business. Because if you've got enough money to go in the furniture business today, why would you do it? Why would you do it? Why would you risk that much capital? We're buying so much from China. We buy everything in containers. The capital requirements are huge. So why would you do it? And there's these people and everybody wants to do business with the people that are reasonable with them. And I think that's helped us a lot. There are some dealers that they just have that reputation. They just complain about everything. This is too high. You're going to have to do this, do that. They just don't even get them any consideration at all. So it's, it's a hard one to do. It's a hard one to train. And some people you can't train because they just don't have it. Good you got, people. You got it, though, Jose. I'm trying. You got it. I'm getting there. <laughs> It's, it, uh, you get that confidence when somebody says, okay, we'll do that. Great. Great. When they finally say yes, like, oh, my God, I can't believe they just said yes to that. <laughs> That's right. Get out of the room before you say something. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So, so um, you, you keep talking about uh, when it's your own money, you, know, you have a lot more ownership in it. 
So deal with employees, you know, how do you motivate, uh, you know, administrative <coughs> people, for example? You know, how do you motivate them so they're not taking a long lunch and, and wanting to hit the, you know, hit the road as soon as the, you know, the clock hits, you know, at the end of the day? You know, how do you motivate those people to, to have them, you know, take ownership in what, what, you know, the whole company? Do the unexpected. Uh, we had two employees two or three years ago. They were they had they were in management positions. These guys were young. <coughs> they just done an incredible job, incredible job. Gave them both a Rolex watch for Christmas. Now, it's different receiving a gift. Even though you've got the money to go buy a Rolex watch, somebody gave you that watch. Wow, wow. The person with the kind of integrity and the substance that you want to motivate, it just puts them through the roof. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. But money is the worst motivator. Money is a cold, hard thing that when you spend it, it's gone. And he can sit and look at that watch for a long time and think about that. So try to be different. Getting people to come back from lunch on time, you got me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's stuff happens, you know. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> that, that's, that works for us. You mentioned the book by Jim Collins, Good to Great, earlier. You referenced that. What is your favorite all-time entrepreneurial business book? You know, this is one you may not have read, The 21 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And it talks, there's names in there that you'll recognize and situations that you'll remember. And uh, I really, really enjoyed reading that book because it made such common sense to me. And it's just so easy to read, it's in a paperback, but that, that book really, really impacted me. And I would leave you with this. Uh, I try every morning. A lot of guys have a different routine every morning. But uh, I'm a victim of routine. I, I get in the habits of doing things. I'm an early <laughs> riser. And I'm 5.30. But I always try to read my Bible at least 20 minutes every morning and that's not being said to impress you that's being said to tell you that I get a lot of uh, thought a lot of questions answered uh, by doing that and it gives me a totally different perspective on things that I knew I knew I was right but I was totally wrong <laughs> And it, uh, it's, it's one of those things. And then if you want to read something else, that's, that's right. That's great. And I think a person that's widely read is just don't get confused. I've seen some guys, you know, they, you had one here in Tulsa. I won't mention his name. But this guy was great at writing books. <clears throat> but he couldn't go do it. He failed every time he tried in business. He failed. 
but he could write you a book and tell you exactly how to do it and make it in glorious language that you thought, this is the king of the world. Read the books of the guys that have done it, that have actually done it. They've, they've made it work. It's not theory. It's actual practic practicality. And those are the guys that I really look at and respect that they've, they've made it happen. We mentioned Jack Welch, you know, his theory of cutting the bottom 10% every single year. <laughs> he made it work. He made it work. He grew that company, incredible. Uh, some other people might not be able to make that, that work. They're not walking in his shoes with the tools that he had to operate with. Well, I am excited you're now part of the Tulsa Business Community. We are also, we are also. And guys, I want to tell you so much how much tonight I really appreciated this invitation and I enjoyed this. This has been very thought provoking. You guys are very bright guys and if I can help any one of you, I would love to do so. So, absolutely. You're welcome in the store anytime. Thank you. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.